It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. The Brian, happy to be out, uh, with you on this Tuesday, uh, the day after Memorial Day. Thanks so much. A lot of people wrote and said they enjoyed hearing the best of on the Memorial Day, and I appreciate that. Uh, Eric, uh, Justin, and Pete did a great job putting that all together. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. The number to call to be on the show. Last week we we brought on Eli Lake from Bloomberg, who wrote this comprehensive look at Michael Flynn, where this case started, uh, the ruse in which it was, and where we're at today. There's also been some more changes in the Michael Flynn case. Eli Lake will join us at the bottom of the hour. I couldn't ca- tackle a 20-page story in five minutes, so we want to bring him back today. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we also. I uh, want to remind you that I know Father's Day is coming up. Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers uh, is available. If you want to get it signed or, or personalized, just go to BrianKillMe.com. It goes to my local station. And also, it's very exciting for us this week, WLFN AM 1490, La Crosse, Wisconsin. Uh, it'll now be uh, airing the show. So that is awesome. Welcome to all their listeners on 1490. So we appreciate that. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So now 27 years before that deadline, it looks like with this national security law, they're going to basically take over uh, Hong Kong. It's hard to see how Hong Kong could remain the Asian financial center that it's become if China takes over. Wow, there we go. China threatening our allies about to gut Hong Kong. Is the Trump administration ready for a new Cold War? Is it the right one to be fighting now? Let's discuss it. Number two. What do you think is Joe Biden's strongest feature as a competitor in politics? Well, I would have said experience, but he doesn't really have experience because I don't think he remembers what he did yesterday. He was never known as a smart person. Pick one good thing. Okay, we don't have that kind of time. Uh, That was uh, Cheryl Atkinson, the interview uh, yesterday. Uh, Presidential politics, Biden and Trump open up on Memorial Day attacks on all sides. We'll bring you the presidential politics. Number one. By being locked up in our homes, there's very real health consequences. The social and economic dislocation leads to suicide and mental illness. Those are real, immediate health consequences that have to be considered just as much. I agree, 100% agree, and that is Alex Azar, the Health and Human Services Secretary, not just anybody, reopening. And the Blue State Blues, why the economy is beginning to show hope and why blue states seem oblivious to their role in bringing it back, or dare I say, politics, especially New York, New Jersey, and Illinois. So I want to bring Alex Azar because I want to get politics out of this. Yeah, he works for Trump, but a health and human services secretary, the one that was getting credit for sounding the alarm in January and then ultimately helping shut down the country in February and March, says this, cut three. 
I would also add that thanks to President Trump's and the, our governor's historic response to this, we have to and we can get back to work, to school, to community, to engagement, um, because it's not an issue of health versus our economy. It's actually an issue of health versus health. By being locked up in our homes, um, there's very real health consequences. The social and economic dislocation leads to suicide and mental illness. We have hundreds of thousands of fewer cancer screenings and treatments going on. We have less preventive services. Millions of kids aren't getting their pediatric vaccinations. Those are real, discernible, immediate health consequences that have to be considered just as much as the spread of this disease has to be considered. It's unbelievable because if you're a first grader, second grader, okay, you're not in danger of disease, but you're a danger of not progressing academically. You cannot learn from a computer in grade school. It's it's tough enough in in high school, in junior high school. It's even not even easy in college. That's why so many people choose not to do it. And online is something that's often done because of necessary economic means or or some other reason other than it's my preferred uh, way to learn. So you have to get back to school. It is no longer, oh, let's, let's be cautious. No, let's get back to school. Show me the way. That should be the answer. And these blue states that are not doing it, it is not a coincidence in New Jersey, New York, Illinois, Massachusetts, and Michigan. Michigan's purple. But you have these restrictions that just are way too oppressive. Now, you could say that they've been hardest hit. That's why they're slowest to reopen. But in the case of New York, the numbers are way down. The deaths are way below when we even locked down. You have to sit there and go and knock on the doors of these small businesses. And if someone is, if you're lucky enough to have them answer, they will tell you that every day that goes by, there's less of a chance them opening. Do you know one of four small businesses has already died? Dead. They're not coming back. You think you're just going to say, okay, we allow curbside uh, delivery of department stores. So if I want to go to a clothing shop and they want to bring me my shirt, that's going to help save a business? Takeout does not save restaurants. It now looks like it's just going to prolong, uh, prolong the pain. Here's Bill de Blasio. This genius is spending his time saying, if you're in the water, we're going to pull you out. You better not use the New York City beaches. But you can use Long Island beaches. What is he even talking about? Cut eight. It looks damn clear right now. It's the first or second week in June to go into phase one. Again, that's manufacturing, construction, wholesale, and retail only for curbside pickup. Those are the big standards. That is not enough. Phase one has got to go immediately to phase two, phase three. We're not going to have a gym. We're not going to have a sporting goods store. You're not going to have a lacrosse shop, a soccer shop. You're not going to have any sporting goods shop. That's what you're doing by, by wasting away. And I think wasting time. Governor Cuomo, who gets, is an is a excellent communicator, I love his PowerPoints, but he's just been totally given a pass on, uh, on his performance in terms of standing up this state in a way that's going to reinvigorate the economy. He thinks he's just going to get a big check because Democrats are going to put so much political pressure on the federal government because of an election year. It's not going to happen. Dr. Scott Atlas, he's looking at this COVID-19 fatality rate, and he's saying, wait a second, we're doing the math. The more times we test, the more we look at the fatalities, there's a 0.03% you will die from this. And in turn, we've just... We've told 330 million people to suffer. 
Cut 16. Somehow this has inexplicably not been reported by the media. The CDC came out with numbers, and uh, these numbers agreed with everything from France, the Netherlands, Spain, and all over the world, that the fatality rate is is actually extremely low uh, compared to what it was uh, originally said. And in fact, for those under 60, it's less than or equal to seasonal flu. Hmm. And in addition... This kind of CDC information that has escaped everyone's attention is that for children, there is essentially zero risk of either death or a significant illness. And that's why, you know, when 3% of the total cases are kids under 18, you're stopping every grammar school from opening? Limit the number of seniors that work at at the lunch duty in school. Limit the the hall monitors of uh, adults. We'll see if there's underlying conditions with some of your senior teachers uh, and then, of course, shield them and pay them. But do not stop them from going to school. What kind of a message? Anytime there's times of strife, we go into a cocoon and look at some of the ridiculous rules in Virginia Beach. They're allowed to reopen for Memorial Day, but also had to adhere to stringent guidelines. The guidelines included a ban on alcohol at the beach, as well as bans on tents, umbrellas and even boom boxes. How does that keep you safe? Meanwhile, the Virginia governor's on the beach taking selfies with people with their armors, arms around them. I thought you're supposed to keep six feet away. Listen to this. In New York, you recently allowed to, uh, in, on Nassau County, you're allowed to go onto tennis courts. But with this restriction, no doubles includes matches. If you want to have a tennis match, you can, pick, you can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. So if your name is on your tennis ball... Pick it up. If your name's not on your tennis ball, you have to kick it up. All right? Unless you're Pele, that could be an issue with continuing your game. All right. Uh, I, I'm just so aggravated by this because there's so much pain in it uh, and there's so much uh, idiocy that goes on around it. Ten weeks we've been locked down. Hampering the coverage to a third of the country are these blue state Democratic governors who don't get up every day thinking how to stand up these states had they're keeping it down. And believe me, in November, you're going to watch if Biden wins this election, you're going to watch Illinois, Massachusetts, New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania suddenly see the light and realize it does more damage to keep a state locked down. Democrats think they can make business go dark for months, according to the Wall Street Journal, and then use a dimmer to turn them back on. It's more complicated than that. Businesses need suppliers and paying customers. This is why economic recovery will be especially challenging Democratic states that would have been locked down then longer and where businesses were struggling before because of high regulations, high taxes and limitations. But that's what they want to do. They want to blame it on Trump. And that's uh, a shame. Because all of you are caught in the crossfire, uh, and uh, and there's no reason for it. Just on a quick look at uh, presidential politics, as it uh, happens over the weekend, you saw uh, uh, Vice President Biden put on a black mask and go to various events in World War II. Don't talk about his mask. No one looks good in a mask. No one will ever look good in a mask. The president has a different philosophy. He gets tested every single morning, and when he passes his test, he goes about his day. When he's golfing six feet from people, there's no reason to wear a mask. It's extremely suffocating. It is tough to walk around with. You never get used to it. I know because we're all wearing them, right? So if you're able to golf and you get tested every day, 
and you're with the people that got tested, no reason to wear a mask. If you get tested, then go to Fort McHenry and then go meet with other people who are serving the military. There's no reason for you to wear a mask. Plus, he's trying to give the American people a sense that the President of the United States is ready to get on and that there is fear and there is risk, but we have to get on with it. I fear that there's so much fear being trumped out, being uh, trotted out, that people are frozen in place. I'm not going there. It is too dangerous to go to a restaurant. It is too dangerous to go to the beach. It is too dangerous to take a walk in the park. Staying outside helps. Being in the open air is refreshing. Being in the open air six feet from someone, I don't think you actually have to wear a mask, especially if you're in an area where no one else is around. But you could be technical and wear a mask just to make sure. But being in the open air, it does not, uh, uh, it, it makes things better. Being in the sun helps. That's Dr. Burke's words. It's not mine. Do you see the same thing or do you see your governor, whoever he or she is, going at the right pace? The polls show most of America disagrees with what I just said, that they think we're more afraid of too fast than too slow. What do you think? And when it comes to presidential politics, who got the upper hand? The president, uh, vice president had a terrible week last week. He makes no sense when he speaks. His interviews uh, usually go down a rabbit hole. And then when he came out and made those statements about African-Americans, you ain't black. Uh, you ain't black if you're going to vote for Trump. Uh, the ramifications, the blowback, not pervasive in the media. Right away, people are trying to cover for him. They're trying to say, well, look at what Trump said in the past. Look at what happened with uh, Charlottesville. One has nothing to do with the other. Uh, But you should pay the price for that. But he's not. Listen to what James Carville said about Biden's latest gaffe. Cut 34. Look, it was kind of a dumb thing to say. And he said, I'm sorry, I said it. This is the effects of this through the weekend. All right. This is not going to mean diddly squat in in the long term. So he said something he shouldn't have said. Happens all the time in politics. Hmm. He does it all the time. He's trying to to lower the bar. But Trump says something that people don't like or he talks too optimistically and doesn't say say 100,000 have lost their lives to this virus on a regular basis shows he doesn't care. That's what you choose to focus on. When someone gets their head chopped off over in Syria and the president is in a golf shirt and makes an announcement uh, that, yeah, it's terrible and we're going to have a we're going to have Congress vote on this and then goes and golfs right after almost nobody else. You know, the networks reported except us. And lastly, just on this uh, comment, he was made to the, the Breakfast Club hosted by Charlemagne, the, the God. Uh, he hosts the Breakfast Club. This means that Joe Biden almost has to pick a African-American woman as a running mate. Listen to what Charlemagne basically said because of this controversy. He knows leverage when he hears it. Cut 35. On top of possible Russian interference and voter suppression, Dems have to worry about voter depression. And that's people staying home on Election Day because they just aren't enthused by the candidate. You know, you can't act like this is the most important election ever, but run a campaign from your basement and, you know, not make some real you know, policy commitments to the black community. You know, not 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 listen to some of the demands that the black community are making. And what he said, too, and I should have said this uh, prior to putting the soundbite out there. By the way, do you see that shot? Sit in your basement and you expect me to vote for you. Wow. Uh, That was in response to what if he picked Amy Klobuchar? And he's basically saying, and there's no question, Jim Clyburn got him this nomination. 
by delivering the African-American vote. He's a powerful man, well-respected in South Carolina by Republicans and Democrats in many cases. And he delivered it. They want something in return. And now, after that comment, they're going to get it. Forget it, Elizabeth Warren. Forget it, Amy Klobuchar. When we come back, your thoughts. 1-866-408-7669. Glad you're with us on this Tuesday. Don't go anywhere. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm very pleased uh, to hear a very consistent message uh, coming from China, which is one of, of openness. I think the authorities in China are very keen to understand the animal origin of the virus. Do you believe this? That is such an in-your-face to America. That was a spokesperson for the World Health Organization talking about praise for China and their response to the coronavirus, which they still won't let us into examine yet. Uh, Dr. Michael Ryan, the WHO's emergencies chief, uh, uh, WHO's, appointed to day-to-day discussions with colleagues in China. He said the UN Health Agency and many governments are eager to understand the animal or origins of the virus. And I'm very pleased to hear their consistent message. That is nuts. It's anything but consistent. They still haven't been transparent. At the same time, they're about to crush Hong Kong. Literally crush Hong Kong. Tiananmen Square style. Listen to Robert O'Brien. Cut 37. The Communist Party of China promised Great Britain back in 1984 with the Sino-British Declaration that Hong Kong would, degree, would uh, have a degree of autonomy and, and would be a, uh, maintain their way of life through 2047. So now 27 years before... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. For that deadline, it looks like with this national security law, they're going to basically take over uh, Hong Kong. And if they do, 
under the uh, 1992 Hong Kong Policy Act and the, the Hong Kong uh, Human Rights and Democracy Act of 2019, uh, Secretary Pompeo would likely be unable to certify that Hong Kong maintains a high degree of autonomy. And uh, if that happens, there will be sanctions that will be imposed on Hong Kong and, and China. It's hard to see how Hong Kong could remain the Asian financial center that it's become if China takes over. There's no way they can. Uh, they're going to crack down on all those democracy advocates, those fearless uh, men and women who fight every day because their, uh, their, their freedom's been taken away. They, they are in a time in which they desperately need revenue, but they'd rather arrest every Democrat, change the constitution of Hong Kongers in order to just get some discipline in that area. They call it discipline. Their freedom provides a lot of revenue for that country. They don't care. That's how bad things are getting. Question for you is, is this the time to take them on? I think we got it. one 408 We go inside the Michael Flynn case with Eli Lake of Bloomberg in just a moment. Then your calls. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one -on -one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He did tell the truth. It's the FBI agents who made up the lies in the 302. They added things that weren't supported by their notes. They did not write down things he did say. They completely manufactured the purported case against him. They but. manufactured the, quote, false, Ferris statements. The general was honest with the FBI agents when they interviewed him. Did he remember every word that was said on the phone call? No. Who does? And did he indicate that they, he knew they recorded it? Yes, because he thanked them when they reminded him what he said in one instance. Joining us now is Eli Lake. Uh, Eli Lake uh, writes for Bloomberg View. Uh, Eli, welcome back. I felt like uh, I only scratched the surface and all the research you did on the 20-plus page story on Michael Flynn, how it started, who he is, how he got caught up in this, and what he actually did wrong, uh, which is nothing, and, uh, and where we stand now. Uh, first off, uh, Eli, what's been the response to that column? You know, for the most part, I think a lot of people have been pretty positive about it. Um, the people who have, you know, really staked the ground in the argument that um, the Russiagate investigation, in fact, proved a version of collusion or some kind of conspiracy, um, you know, have not liked it. But uh, for the most part, the, the disagreements have been fairly civil with I, you know, one exception of a kind of a deranged blogger who I will not name, who sort of, uh, you know, just wrote an indecipherable screed and uh, tweeted a lot. But other than that, I think, you know, most people, even folks who've been kind of mainstream journalists who have been um, sort of skeptical of um, the skeptical, I should say, of the skepticism of Russia Gate recognized that I think that it was an important piece. And, uh, you know, that was that was in some ways gratifying. So a couple of things I think need to be cleared up. Uh, for one thing, Michael Flynn was well-respected, uh, the same way McChrystal, Petraeus, uh, uh, General Kelly. They, they, they have their critics. They're, no, they're, no, they're not impervious to uh, backstabbing, backbiting, or uh, their decisions being cut, uh, put up for scrutiny. But Michael Flynn, people should understand... Uh, for people like you that cover the military, cover our war, covered, covered ISIS, 
Can you give me an idea who Michael Flynn was in his role in the success of the surge and the killing of horrible people like Zarqawi? Well, I think the, the, the thing to understand is that Mike Flynn first clashes with the intelligence community, and particularly the CIA, in the um, 2008-2011 range when he is in the field and um, the top intelligence officer in JSOC, which is the um, special operations uh, part of the U.S. military, at least the actual arm. And what, what Michael Flynn uh, was able to do was to rethink how intelligence was collected on the networks of terrorists in Iraq and then later Afghanistan. And, you know, his approach to this um, was radically different than the CIA, which was largely relying on friendly um, regional intelligence services and assets that they had cultivated over, you know, several years. And what I think Mike Flynn was able to do was map out these networks in a way that the rest of the intelligence community that was charged with this in the first years of the Iraq war was not really able to do. And for that, um, I think he earned um, resentment and a few enemies within in the intelligence community, but he also earned, at first, the praise of both the Bush and the Obama administration and people who worked with him, including people who would later turn out to be his, uh, you know, pretty serious foes, like James Clapper, the former head of the, the former director of national intelligence, um, quickly promoted him. And by the beginning of Obama's first term, he was the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is a very important job uh, in the military and uh, the U.S. intelligence community. And it was in that job when I think that Flynn began to make a lot of enemies, particularly at the Obama White House. He was a skeptical, he was very skeptical and very worried about the Iran deal. He did not see a change in behavior in Iran's um, kind of regional predations and sponsorship of terrorism in the Middle East. Um, he believed that the war against al-Qaeda and in general the war against jihadist terrorist networks um, should continue, and the killing of bin Laden in 2011 was not an excuse to end that war prematurely. And he was concerned also, and in this way he's gotten some uh, in a strange, strange bedfellows from the left, he was concerned about the half-in, half-out approach of the Obama administration in Syria, which supported um, classified programs that were trying to sort of cultivate and support moderate rebel groups in Syria, but he believed were, you know, effectively arming groups that were um, eventually going to either join al-Qaeda or, were, you know, basically al-Qaeda and other jihadists. And he was extremely concerned about that. And after he left government, he did go public on those issues. I think that um, Flynn, all of these things, and, you know, there have been complaints about his management style, which I think is, uh, there's another side of that story. I think people who've been very loyal to Flynn would disagree with that he was a poor manager, but that was another argument that stuck. What happened is that after he left government, and he did what many people do who were very senior um, military officers or officials in the U.S. government. He decided to sort of begin to make real money, um, you know, in his retirement. But because he left on bad terms with the Obama administration, the traditional route, which is to sort of serve on corporate boards and get, um, you know, be affiliated with, you know, high-powered law firms and consulting agencies and things like that, um, were really not available to him. So he had to branch out on his own, and that means that he took 
in my view, um, unwisely, riskier clients. Um, and the most notorious is a Dutch company that uh, he later acknowledged was a cutout for the Turkish government. But, uh, you know, he also made the decision to show up at the RT Gala in 2015. Uh, RT, is, we both know, is a, a Russian propaganda station. Uh, he was paid for that. He, 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 he acknowledged all of this to the Defense Intelligence Agency before and after he went. He briefed them afterwards. But this was then turned into um, something far more sinister than it really was, uh, in the press, and as we now know, was part of the major predication for the FBI to begin their counterintelligence investigation against, uh, against him in August of 2016. So they got leverage on him uh, because they said the, uh, a violation of FARA and a violation of the Logan Act. And the rumor is they were going to go after his son. How much well, of all three of those Act things stuff, is true? Yeah, we should... We should pause for a minute on the Logan Act issue because the Logan Act issue is something that was so risible and so outrageous for an incoming national security advisor to, you know, to open an investigation as to whether he had violated this sort of relic from the John Adams administration that has never been successfully prosecuted and not, <laughs> no one's been indicted for it since before the Civil War. The idea that the FBI would actually pursue that, and as we've seen in a lot of the newly declassified and reports on this investigation, including from Michael Horowitz, the Inspector General of the Justice Department, is that the Logan Act justification or part of part of that investigation, despite the concerns from the outgoing Obama Justice Department, remained part of the larger scope of what the um, FBI and later the Mueller Special Counsel was looking into, which is just crazy. Um, and that, I think, right there is a real red flag and indication that James Comey and the FBI leadership during the presidential transition, particularly uh, once January 2017 starts, is looking for any reason they can find to continue an investigation into Mike Flynn that by the end of December had turned up nothing and that the FBI itself had prepared the closing memo on the counterintelligence investigation, meaning they were going to basically close the file before even interviewing him because they had searched and sort of said, all right, let's look at some yeah. confidential sources and things like that. Turns up nothing. And then the justification for continuing that investigation is this phone call with the Russian ambassador in which Flynn asks him not to escalate uh, the situation as they were coming into office, which is perfectly normal. And as the motion the Justice Department's motion to dismiss the case says is in keeping with him advancing American interests, not undermining them, is actually exculpatory evidence in an investigation into whether or not he is a witting or unwitting Russian agent or asset. Right there is, in my view, an extraordinary abuse of power on the part of the FBI to continue an investigation that they knew had been closed on the grounds that somehow this phone call uh, was reason for greater suspicion. And then, um, and that's not even getting into, you know, the subsequent leaks of that conversation, uh, at first to David Ignatius of the Washington Post, and then um, the, the, the way in which he was interviewed. But going back to your original point about the Foreign Agents Registration Act, um, I think that, you know, Flynn himself acknowledged in a subsequent filing after he left government in 2017, after he, he resigned, that uh, he filed again under the Foreign Agents Registration Act, he originally filed under a kind of uh, less stringent rule known as the Lobbying Disclosure Act, his contract, without acknowledging that um, this company in, in the Netherlands was, in fact, 
you know, really the, the Turkish government. And all of that, I think, is fair game in terms of it's fair to criticize Flynn, Flynn's decisions. It's, it's, this is not a case where everything about Flynn is heroic and everything, um, you know, on the other side is, is, is not good. It, it nonetheless shows that I think it's very important to point out that until Robert Mueller, we had an enforcement environment for the Foreign Agents Registration Act where most people who use this sort of loophole, the Lobbying Disclosure Act, were never criminally prosecuted for then correcting that filing later on. In fact, the worst that ever happened was fine. And the fact that, that Mueller would use this threat of enforcement under the Foreign Agents Registration Act with Flynn in order to get his cooperation for ultimately an investigation that turned up no conspiracy between Russia and the Trump campaign, um, itself really, you know, it raises a lot of questions. Um, it was technically legal for him to do that. But at the same time, if there is going to be a change in the enforcement strategy in Washington, it should be consistently enforced. The only Democrat who was really caught up in this is Gregory Craig. Other Democrats who were sharing a similar contract with Paul Manafort, the former campaign manager, such as Tony Podesta's lobbying firm, were never criminally prosecuted for their efforts. And you can go on. I mean, if you really want to say who's violating the Foreign Agents Registration Act, what about Fusion GPS? which had been in a separate contract representing the Russian bank that was trying to defame uh, Bill Browder, who is uh, the, the main force and sort of, a, at this point, a philanthropist who is trying to get countries to enforce these sanctions against Russia. So you had the firm that produced the dossier um, taking money from uh, a Russian bank, which was close in some ways to the Russian government, and this is according to, I want to stress this, according to the logic of the resistance, which is that the Trump Tower meeting in 2016 was so nefarious because of a, the, the Russian side was represented by um, a woman by the name of Natalia Veselnaskaya. Veselnaskaya was the person who had hired Fusion GPS to defame Bill Browder. And the fact that Fusion GPS has never really had to face a Justice Department prosecution, let alone anything telling them that they had to register as a foreign agent for that, does tell me that this is a law that was not enforced consistently. In fact, we don't even... And Mueller was anything but balanced. And Mueller was anything yeah. but balanced. He was All he was doing was farming off, trying to get the Michael Cohens along the way. He wasn't trying to stop uh, the other people like Fusion GPS and the other people you mentioned, like Greg Craig got re- referred and got excused. Manafort got solitary well, yeah, he confinement. Fought in yeah. But yeah, Eli, right. so let's fast forward. Now, uh, Flynn and the Flynn side and the Mueller side want to declassify the transcripts of the calls with Kislyak. Do you want that done too? Well, I've wanted, I've written columns saying that they should declassify those transcripts now for three and a half years. I was one of the first people to sort of say that I thought it was very unfair how Flynn was forced out of the government, uh, forced out of his position as national security advisor. This is something that the uh, Flynn's defense attorney, Sidney Powell, has asked for in uh, court documents. At one point, Judge Sullivan um, had required, had, had, had ordered that the you know, government produced these transcripts, and his former prosecutors, the ones who withheld a lot of this evidence from the defense as well as the public, fought that, and eventually Sullivan relented. 
So the idea that in the last week, week and a half, you've heard Susan Rice and others say, well, let's see the transcripts now that they're declassifying all this, as if that is, um, you know, it, it, that's a sort of, you know, like valid response to this. It ignores that Flynn's defense has been calling for those transcripts now for over a year. So yep. the, the idea that real this quick, is something that like, the th- government's hiding is crazy. Gotcha. Eli Lake, real quick, last question. Uh, the, have you talked to Michael Flynn? Um, I, I, would, I have not uh, talked to him. I, I've had a couple text exchanges with him. Okay. Um, number two is, do you feel he could help clear his name by speaking? He's such a blunt speaker, well-spoken, so smart. Don't you think that he could help sell himself and his innocence to the mass, mass public? as opposed to staying quiet behind legal, uh, legal blocking? Well, I think that there was a time after he resigned or right up to that where he could have defended himself more, and he didn't uh, because he was a loyal sort of soldier to the, to the Trump White House. And uh, then once he was in legal trouble, I think that he was following the advice of his lawyers and, not, and keeping a fairly low profile. But at this point, I would just say this. The documents speak for themselves. What, the, what they show is, gotcha. and this is a more important part of the story, what they show is that James Comey abused the public's trust and committed a kind of, um, you know, he, he committed, in my view, a, a real abuse of the investi- his investigative powers and intervened in this particular sense through Peter Strzok to keep this investigation open when he had no rec- grounds to do so. That is a scandal, and, so, yeah, and the focus with really Strzok. should be on James gotcha. Comey. Eli, Eli Lake, great job. Uh, well, we'll definitely have you back again. This is going to move forward, hopefully this week. Brian Kilmichel, back with your phone calls in just a moment. You got it, sir. Thank you. one 408 Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. one 408 7669 I appreciate everyone being there. It was always great to go through Eli Lake. I was going to interrupt him, but I, he was telling the story brilliantly in such a cohesive way. So many people come up to me during the day and say, you know, the Flynn case is a little confused. Just read this story or listen to him. Uh, David in Arkansas. Hey, David, you're on. Hey, uh, thank you so much for having me on. Brian, it's important to me to tell people, or at least give them the option to understand, that the masks are the perfect collector for the virus and an incubator for it. And it's not smart to wear a mask. It's warm and moist. Are you a doctor? Are you a doctor? I knew you were going to say that. No, I passed fourth grade health class. Most Americans didn't. The fact is, it's a collector on your face. It's warm and moist. After about 20 minutes, and if you're in the environment where the virus is, guess what? I mean, think about it. Well, I mean, it's supposed they say it's one minute. They said it's not going to help, so we're not going to tell you to get it. Next thing they say, grab cloth. Now they say everyone's got to have a mask. So the inconsistency I can point out. But there's a reason why nurses and doctors have a mask in surgery. And I think that's a lot of the same thing they're hoping for now, why Korea and, and China, basically everybody in their cities wear it. But I'm willing to say, I don't know. 
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, welcome back. Hope you had as enjoyable as possible Memorial Day where we commemorate those who fought, but you couldn't go to any military cemetery. Uh, but you could uh, go to the beach, but you couldn't swim in some places, but could only swim in others. You could surf, but you couldn't stay on the beach. Uh, those are the rules, and those were the rules to shut down the military cemeteries, which to me made no sense. Uh, Alan West is going to be with us. I don't know if you heard, the lieutenant colonel leaving a Texas Freedom Rally crashed on his motorcycle. It was a horrific accident. Uh, he has managed to survive. We're grateful, and more grateful that he's going to be interviewing with us for the first time. Uh, anywhere. So he's going to be talking to the mass public. He put out a video, but this will be his first interview. Uh, we also saw two or three updates from uh, Governor Cuomo over the weekend in New York. Everyone's watching to see when the number one city in the world is going to reopen. No time soon, it looks like. Uh, it looks like he does not even want to be caught on a, uh, talking about a timetable, which is unbelievable to me. Uh, yeah, the mayor say we might have phase one, which means nothing to the average everyday person, mostly manufacturing and, and construction sites. And then we also uh, saw two of those updates, one from Jones Beach, one from the Intrepid. We'll keep you updated on that. Michael Goodwin of the New York Post is standing by. Then we're going to talk to the interior secretary of the company, uh, of the country, and then we'll do a simulcast on the number one business channel and the number one show on Fox Business Network. You'll get a chance to finally see what I look like for those people who have not ordered the Fox Nation app and don't get to watch the whole show. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So now 27 years before that deadline, it looks like with this national security law, they're going to basically take over uh, Hong Kong. It's hard to see how Hong Kong could remain the Asian financial center that it's become if China takes over. Robert O'Brien threatening our allies. That's what China's doing. About to gut Hong Kong. That's what O'Brien's talking about. The administration could be into the beginning of a Cold War with China. Are we there already? Number two. What do you think is Joe Biden's strongest feature as a competitor in politics? Well, I would have said experience, but he doesn't really have experience because I don't think he remembers what he did yesterday. He was never known as a smart person. Pick one good thing. Uh... Presidential politics. Biden and Trump open up Memorial Day attacks from all sides. We'll bring in the latest. Number one. By being locked up in our homes, there's very real health consequences. The social and economic dislocation leads to suicide and mental illness. Those are real, immediate health consequences that have to be considered just as much. Reopening and the Blue State Blues. Why the economy is beginning to show some hope and why the blue states seem oblivious to their role in bringing it all back, especially in New York, New Jersey, Illinois, and Massachusetts. With me right now to discuss that, Michael Goodwin. Michael, do you believe now more than ever like I do that politics is playing a role in the speed in which people are choosing to open up their states? Well, Brian, good morning. Um, I think when, you, when it comes to dealing with 
professional politicians, we should assume that everything they do has a political element. Now, sometimes it's nakedly 100 percent. Other times it may be they're calculating and, you know, it's like you can watch their minds work. Is this good for me? Uh, And so I think there's always an element of politics. That's the nature of the beast. Uh, But I think what we have seen is is distressing in that the blue state governors uh, have a a whole different set of uh, guidelines and everything. They are the draconian shutdowns, and this is what the the mainstream media wants. So once again, you see this this kind of alternate world where uh, the Republican governors, by and large, are looking to reopen as fast as possible with the safety outlets, and the blue state governors are looking at the glasses as half empty, which is, uh, what do we have to do? What's the, what's the minimum reopening we can do uh, with an right. emphasis on shutdown? So uh, I think there, there is this real political distinction taking shape, and it's very clear. And as you say, here in New York, we're the ultimate blue state. We're the bluest of the blue states. Uh, in, in the most recent elections, and we have the most draconian shutdowns. So I want you to hear, so just keep in mind, I know 100,000 are dead, and that is tragic on any calculus. I get it. But if you look at who the most susceptible are, only 3% of those who even have the cases are under 18, but yet we shut down all of schools, all of colleges too, and 0.03% is the mortality rate. So if you get it, there's a 99.7% chance you will survive it. The ones that are most susceptible, we should be smart about it, especially, I think, 10 weeks in. No one could say that we're acting reckless in trying to open up, uh, raise the curtain while people continue to have their rights taken away. I want you to hear Dr. Scott Atlas of the Hoover Institute, a senior fellow, which he told uh, Ed Henry last night, cut 16. Somehow this has inexplicably not been reported by the media. The CDC came out with numbers, and uh, these numbers agreed with everything from France, the Netherlands, Spain, and all over the world, that the fatality rate is is actually extremely low uh, compared to what it was uh, originally said. And in fact, for those under 60, it's less than or equal to seasonal flu. Hmm. And in addition... This kind of CDC information that has escaped everyone's attention is that for children, there is essentially zero risk of either death or a significant illness. Your thoughts on that, Michael? Look, I, I think that's absolutely right, Brian. If you, if you blo- uh, sort of looked back at what was done in the last, say, three months, knowing what we know now, would you do the same thing again? And, and I would hope that most people would say, absolutely not. We, what we should have done is draw a, build a wall around the most elderly and the comorbid people, people with underlying health conditions. Some of them are young, but primarily this disease uh, carries out its most lethal activities against the old uh, in nursing homes, we saw, mostly. So I think that if we were to do this over, we would do it differently. And we would look, we would look at protecting the most vulnerable instead of treating everybody as exactly. if they are equally vulnerable. You know, Brian, what it reminds me, I would say quickly, 
is is the TSA, the travel security, right? Everybody at the at the airlines gets treated the same way. When not everybody is liable to be carrying a bomb, uh, and yet that is the the way we approach things in America. We're all treated equally. Now there's some great value to that fundamentally, but it's not smart when it comes to these preventive measures where everybody has to has to equally suffer uh, because some people are more liable to blow up planes than others, and some people are more liable to get sick because of be, uh, from this disease. So I think we have to right. be smart enough and be brave enough to do things that work, not just that are pl- kind of blindly equal. I don't want one person to die from this. I understand, but I understand there's risk with everything. You walk in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong night at the wrong time, and sometimes in good neighborhoods, you're going to get robbed, you're going to get shot, you're going to be the wrong people. Sometimes on the road, you're going to get hit while you're waiting at a light. It doesn't mean you stop driving. New York's daily deaths on Sunday were down to 96. They were up 230 new hospitalizations across the state, across the whole state. The city is just 1% from having enough free hospital and ICU beds per Cuomo's reopening requirement. If we're that close and paying such a price, stop paying the price. Wall Street Journal writes today in an op-ed, here's an excerpt. Democrats think they can make businesses go dark for months and then use a dimmer to turn them back on. It's more complicated than that. Businesses need suppliers and paying customers. That is why the economy recovery will be especially challenging in Democratic states that they stay locked down longer where businesses were struggling before because of high taxes, high rents, and government labor mandates. So... They are acting as if they're watching our back. Instead, they're stabbing us in the back. Well, look, I, I think that the, the blue state governors uh, and mayors, uh, by and large, do not have a great affection for business. They see, they see business, uh, big and small, as, as something of a cow to be milked. Uh, rather than uh, some uh, good service that they provide to the public, gotcha. and it's only for them. It's only about the taxes that businesses can yield. Uh, that you know, a lot of them believe that welfare is is a form of work. That welfare is just as good as a job, if only it paid more. Uh, so I mean, there there is there is an anti-business climate. Uh, despite New York being the great business capital of America, there's a tremendous anti-business capital uh, climate. And what the governor does and the mayor, they they basically uh, play favorites with big businesses like the Amazons, like the big uh, big real estate owners, and and they get tax breaks. And but but everybody else sort of has to compete against that. So they're really hostile, especially to small businesses. And gotcha. the idea that De Blasio, the mayor said the other day they can come back quickly they can hang on for a few months longer how would he know he's never had a small business he's never worked outside government by and large his entire adult life so these are the people calling the shots and unfortunately they have a lot of blind spots all right and uh michael have to end it there it turns out colonel west who had that horrible uh, motorcycle accident is going to give us his first interview he feels well enough to do it so he's going to be joining us next Uh, Michael, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it this morning. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. All right. We go out to Texas to Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, recovering from a devastating motorcycle accident. His first interview will be with us next. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, uh, probably uh, one of the great guests we have on each and every week, the most loyal to our show, was in a devastating motorcycle accident uh, after speaking at the Texas Freedom Rally uh, at the Capitol in Austin on Saturday. Uh, He hopped on his motorcycle, was going 75 miles an hour when he was cut off uh, on Interstate 35. He crashed. Everyone had their fingers crossed uh, and hoped that he was going to be okay. And I have news for you. He is banged up, but he's going to be okay. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, so glad you're okay. What happened? <laughs> hey, buddy, how you doing? Uh, I got to tell you, it was, you know, I'm going up I-35, and the funny thing is I crashed in, in a city called West Texas. <laughs> so how appropriate. <laughs> Someone cut someone cut me off and and uh of course i slowed down as they cut me off and then i don't know if it was another car or the guy that was on this motorcycle behind me but they clipped my back wheel and and i went went flying and uh thank god i didn't get run over by you know another car or anything like that but Pretty uh, scraped up. I've got bandages on both arms and lost a lot of skin there. Lost skin on my face. Uh, dislocated my shoulder and maybe have a slight fracture. And I got a couple of bad lacerations in my right palm and across my left knee. But uh, look, um, I'm alive and uh, I didn't have a slight concussion, but I maintain cognizance, so I'm here with you, my friend. Colonel, and thanks so much for sharing, because our audience obviously is very loyal to you. You've been, you've put in at least 10 years with us, and we've enjoyed all of it, handling every major issue, but now you're the issue. What do you remember about the actual incident? Can you, a lot of times when people go through this, they black out. Do you remember being on, on the ground? Do you remember going through oh, the air? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was uh, interesting. Like I said, I never lost conscious, consciousness, and so I remember, you know, the bike, going out from under me i could feel it uh you know just slipping from the back and as you're taught you know you let go of the bike because you don't want to hang on to it that could really cause worse injury and i was in the air for a while and then hit the pavement and rolled around and and got scraped up bad and when i finally you know stopped uh, you know first thing i did was uh, wiggle my toes and let me know that everything was okay for my extremities but I tried to get up, and, and that's when I knew, you know, something was messed up in my upper body because I, I just couldn't get up and move. And the worst part, Brian, was, you know, with all the road rash burns and everything, laying on the uh, the interstate pavement, man, that was, uh, that was pretty hellish, i put it that way. Wow, I can imagine. Did you think it was over? You know... You just uh, you never know, and and I was I was concerned. I, they told me the great thing was that the first three people to come to me, one was a doctor, another was a nurse, and another was a EMT, and they knew everything to check, and I didn't seem to have any internal injuries, internal bleeding, or anything like that. But 
I remember making a joke when I got to the hospital, and I told him, hey, look, guys, if I die, don't put me down as a COVID-19 death. <laughs> I think that's what you're speaking about, reopening up Texas, and, of course, you're running for the Texas uh, GOP chair. Uh, Colonel, the other thing is, did you ever find out, did the, did the motorists stop? They cut you off? No, that's the, they kept going, and so... I don't know if the Texas Highway Patrol is still investigating, trying to find that person, but no, they didn't stop, And uh, but I'm okay. When you saw, I don't know if you've got a full understanding of the outpouring of support immediately, the president, everybody else weighing in, polling for you, Governor yeah. Huckabee, is the first time I heard of it, it was Governor Huckabee on television said that Alan West was in a motorcycle accident. Does that make the extreme pain you're in right now more bearable? Yeah, it does. I tell you, when you're you're sitting there in the hospital, and uh, it was Sunday, and my wife Angela's there, and she tells me that you know President Trump just tweeted best wishes, and you just break out crying, and uh, it's hard to fight back the tears. When you think about all the people that were praying for you. I just want to thank them. Thank the staff at Baylor Scott and White down in Waco, Texas. Because uh, I shouldn't be alive, Brian. Most people don't survive an accident like that. No, I, I understand. Uh, but you don't understand how tough you are, which you've already been through in your life. It's going to take more than a motorcycle accident to take Allen West. You have too much more to do, Colonel, including win that mm-hmm. seat. Uh, including give back to the country. Thank you. And, uh, you know, we will fight for Texas, fight for America, and uh, because I don't want to see it go down the path that some people would have it go down. That's not what I took an oath to the Constitution for, and that's not what men and women gave their lives for, and we remembered them on Memorial Day. So we're going to fight on. And you will. Colonel, thanks so much for talking to us. Uh, everybody loves you here, and because uh, you have lived a life of uh, extreme honor and integrity, you're getting it back now. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's going to come through this and be 100% again, it is you. Colonel, I'll talk to you again soon. Stay safe. Much safer than you were yesterday. Stay safe from here on in. I will. Tell Joe Biden that I am black. <laughs> and you're not going to vote for him. All right. Thanks, Colonel. Colonel Colonel Allen West, thank you. So that's a sense of humor. Back with the Interior Secretary in just a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Today we honor the heroes we have lost. We pray for the loved ones they left behind. And with God as our witness, we solemnly vow to protect, preserve, and cherish this land they gave their last 
breath to defend and to defend so proudly. President of the United States, at Fort McHenry yesterday, such an apropos place to be always any Memorial Day because think about where our country was at the time. Washington's burned to the ground. Our army and uh, navy is scattered all about. We have no coherent policy. A bad secretary of war that had to be rotated out and our, our attempt, our feeble attempt at protecting our capital showed a lot of militia members just running for the hills. But we had to make a stand, and we do it at the Battle of Baltimore, and we do it at that fort, and we would stop the British for the first time really uh, in this war. And then they go wing around and try to stop us at New or- Battle of New Orleans, and we would stop them in a way that we'd send a message to the rest of the world. We, would, we are here for good, and we just beat the number one infantry at the Battle of New Orleans. Uh, in 45 minutes. But Fort McHenry is such a great place that everyone should visit over in Baltimore. And nobody has to explain that to the Secretary of of Interior. He's the 53rd one at that, David Bernhardt. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, David. Great to see you, Mr. Secretary. Well, thank you for inviting me to visit with you this morning, Brian. Absolutely. And we met at uh, the World War II Memorial, uh, and you helped us with the Fox Nation feature. And now it's time to let people planning for vacations know uh, what they, where they can and can't go today and down the line when it comes to this summer? Well, the president and the nation's government, governors and, frankly, the American people made a tremendous effort to change behaviors to slow the spread of COVID-19 uh, to prevent our medical facilities from being overwhelmed. And they succeeded in those efforts. And now we uh, at the Department of the Interior um, are working with uh, each governor um, to uh, begin to increase access at each of our facilities, looking at them from a, a, a facility by facility uh, review, each unit in each service, and asking how can we make um, these uh, these wonderful places of um, inspiration accessible. Many we kept accessible all through this. For example, you and I walked. Um, on the World War II Memorial and around it, and everybody could do that throughout this. But now we're um, in the reopening phase, and I was in uh, the Grand Canyon on Saturday as we began to expand uh, access and opportunities there. Yellowstone's open, uh, Great Smokies is, is, is open, and we are, we are basically, the majority of our parks are accessible and will be more accessible every single day um, so that people yeah. can enjoy them. You know, the other thing is we know two things from Dr. Burks and, and from the uh, and from the president's task force. Being outdoors helps and the sun helps. So we're not going to say it makes you immune, but being outdoors helps. You, you're absolutely right about that. The health of our visitors and our employees is absolutely critical. But if you look at all of the guidance, it's very clear that um, uh, if you can social distance, um, uh, you can um, have a great experience outside without, without a mask. And uh, if you um, can't social distance, um, we would encourage uh, you to utilize a, a, a facial covering. But the reality is our parks and public lands serve as places of inspiration, uh, places of solace, places of rejuvenation. And we want the American people to have that. Um, as each governor brings um, their, their, their state online, we want to be right there with them, side by side. And that's what we've been doing today. 
Excuse me for not knowing this, Mr. Secretary. We're speaking to David Bernhardt, the interior secretary of the country. But uh, we're, a lot of people are frustrated. Okay, I am in New York in the pace of reopening and what's reopened. Uh, do they have, do the governors have any control over what federal parks, national parks, whether they're open or not? So, so as a matter of law, they don't. But um, we don't want to um, necessarily create a conflict um, between uh, what uh, states are doing and what we're doing. And so we've tried to err. We've tried to manage um, these situations with a very simple premise. What do the local public health officials say is happening in their locality? What do the uh, public health officials of the state say? We don't want these to be political decisions. We want these to line up to ensure the safety of our people. And to the extent that there was a dispute between a governor and I, you know, I would I would resolve that. Um, and the president is, is directed me to get these places uh, moving forward. But so far, we've we've been able to work in alignment. And of course, World War Two means a lot. Wasn't this the anniversary of the end of World War Two yesterday? And normally this would have been a unbelievable national celebration. You're exactly right. Um, you know, the president actually um, uh, uh, visited the World War Two uh, memorial just like we did two weeks ago. Uh, but but in a normal in a normal uh, Memorial Day, uh, that would have been a, a, a very significant um, uh, m- moment of remembrance. But uh, but I will tell you this: there were folks on the mall uh, observing um, Memorial Day uh, yesterday, and they they were socially distanced, and they were doing a great job. And look, our country is the greatest country on the planet. It's the greatest idea um, to be espoused by um, men. And we um, we have an opportunity to remember that and move through this uh, quickly and responsibly. And that's exactly what we're doing. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, there's nothing more rewarding than my series, What Made America Great. I'm going to a lot of national parks. And to be able to chance to see this for the first time uh, has been amazing for me. I've been to Yellowstone with my family, but to go to Mount Rushmore and to go to World War II Memorial and go underneath the Lincoln Memorial and the Jefferson Memorial, and that's just right. to see everything that, that's out there, as well as Fort Jefferson, and to know your responsibilities. Now, when you look at your budget and knowing we're in these tough economic times, do you worry about the financing need to maintain these places? Well, I will tell you what, I'm very, very optimistic, and I think we talked briefly about this uh, last time um, we visited, but in two weeks, Congress will consider legislation that uh, would really invest um, significantly in our public, uh, our public lands and our, and our park maintenance backlog. And the Senate is scheduled two weeks from now to consider legislation that would permanently fund um, um, our uh, needed maintenance program and also, at the same time, permanently fund uh, the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which funds um, uh, a number, number of things, including local parks. And I think if anything will come out of this COVID for conservationists and recreationists, it ought to be the importance, the absolute importance and need of people to have an opportunity to go somewhere um, and, and spend some time outside. And we see this in local communities where we have a large presence. Um, and I think, I think we're going to have the resources. Uh, I think Congress is going to move forward on that. And I think we could have an even better park system than we have today.
Thanks so much, uh, Mr. Interior Secretary David Bernhardt. Thanks so much uh, for all you do. It never stops. I, I know your things to do list, and it is long, and it's. Uh, I know it's also rewarding as a 53rd Secretary of the Interior. Is. Absolutely right. great to serve uh, the American people. Thanks for giving me time today. You got it. Go get him, David. Uh, I'm going to be on with uh, Stuart Varney in just a moment uh, in about right after this break and be talking about the economy, uh, the mood of the country, and what we need to do to open up the sports in our country. Today at this hour, we understand this week baseball is meeting players and owners to work something out. We also understand the NFL not only plans on coming out in September, there's a story out there uh, that they plan on being with fans. Wow. Uh, and now the, the New York has said, in, in our restrictive culture, New York has come out and said, pro teams, go play again. The problem with football is both teams' facilities and their stadiums are located in New Jersey. So that makes it real tough because Governor Murphy is not really letting anything uh, right now uh, uh, happen. We're going to take a short time out and come back. And we'll be on with Stuart Varney in just a moment. Then, as soon as I'm done with Stuart, I'll be able to take some of your calls uh, just around the bend. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. I would also add that thanks to President Trump's and the, our governor's historic response to this, we have to and we can get back to work, to school, to community, to engagement, um, because it's not an issue of health versus our economy. It's actually an issue of health versus health. By being locked up in our homes, um, there's very real health consequences. The social and economic dislocation leads to suicide and mental illness. We have hundreds of thousands of fewer cancer screenings and treatments going on. We have less preventive services. Millions of kids aren't getting their pediatric vaccinations. Those are real, discernible, immediate health consequences that have to be considered just as much as the spread of this disease has to be considered. Health and, Health and Human Services Secretary Azar talking, hey guys, it's time to get back to work. The president does not control the states. He supports the states. That's why the testing is in their hands and the president supported it. That's why the ventilators were in their hands, but the president had them built with the Defense Production Act. But now he's saying the damage is going to be too great uh, and we're never going to get all people off unemployment. Now they're going to see about a rescue package. The rescue package, if there is going to be one, is going to have liability insurance and it's going to have an end to a lengthy, overinflated unemployment. Not that we want to deny anybody, but there's got to be a motivation to get back to work. Meanwhile, there are early signs that the U.S. economy is coming back ever so slowly, creeping back to life, so to speak. There's some data coming through uh, with overall business activity falling and layoffs still happening. Current projections show the economy is still falling by a staggering 6 to 7%. But for the first time, they've forced widespread use business closures have decreased. That means we've got uh, Mr. Kilmeade with us, I do declare. There he is, yes. Hey, you're on. You're on my show right now. Okay, pay attention, son. Hey, I get the impression that the, the mood of the country really shifted over this weekend. There is a desire to get out and about, go back to work, 
get this economy going again. Mood shift. Did you see it? I saw it in my anecdotal poll, anecdotal poll, because these are the people I have a chance to talk to that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, there's some get-togethers. No, we were allowed to have 10 or more uh, get-togethers in New York because Governor Cuomo knows best, as you know. Uh, so people are hanging around, and the ones that were the most worried uh, seem to be flat out over it. And here's the deal. We see the stats. If you get this virus, there's a 99.7% chance yes. you will survive it. Yes. Everybody watching right now knows right. if they're in the demographic or have underlying conditions that they're vulnerable and they are post more responsible for their own welfare to this point than even the governor. They might actually know their own health better than the governor. Can you yes. imagine that? Well, so the people Brian, are saying, what are you doing? This is very important. That what, what you just talked about is very important. And we haven't reported it yet this morning, but we should. The CDC says the fatality rate of COVID-19 is 0.3%. That's extraordinarily low. It's not what we've been told about previously. That means the risk of getting this virus, uh, the risk of really suffering and dying from this virus, is very, very low. I think that's going to make a difference to the way we get out and about in the future. Stuart, even if it doesn't affect you directly, there's a lot of people watching us right now that are, that are sports parents or have kids that have missed their entire season of school and about to meet their entire season of club in baseball, football, not football, but lacrosse, soccer, track, volleyball, all this. They're gone. So now you want to get it started again. Do you know that at 3% of the entire nation, 3% are between 6 and 16, right? 0 and 16, excuse me. We shut down all schools. And these kids, there's only 3% chance they'll get it, let alone die from it. It will be extremely rare. Sadly, any one dies, it's too many. Yes. But every single day we hear about tragedies on kids on bikes or in, or in uh, people in cars waiting at lights. It's all tragic. But we know in life there's somewhat risk. And if you told me my kid's not going to go to school for two years and a second grader is going to have to sit on a computer and try to learn to spell and do math or have a chance to go to school, I'm putting them in school. And if my teachers are vulnerable, they know it. Pay them. Take care of them. Let them stay home. And then you figure out until this thing that we get a vaccine or the, or the teachers feel right, safe, so, then we bring them back. So why is it that it is blue state governors, Democrat governors, who are dragging their feet on getting us back outdoors, back to work and out of the house? Why them? They're also doing the biggest scare tactics. So what they're doing is the reason why I think the numbers are so high that say they think more people are wary of it going too fast and too slow is because of the nonstop scary stories that, punt, uh, that come out. 100,000 dead is real, and it, we should examine it, and we should analyze it, but then we should look at the, the people that are most vulnerable and who's not. This is a milestone we never want to pass, but I don't think quarantining an entire country, a healthy country, the first time in history, the whole world's done it, not just us. We have quarant nations have quarantined themselves healthy for the first time in history. So I just think it's time to say, Americans, you, now we told you about the disease the best we know. Now you make your own choices. And I don't yeah. think it's a coincidence that blue states, and if it was a President Biden, I wonder how much quicker, I just ask you rhetorically, answer at home to your television, we can hear you. Massachusetts, if it's President Biden, how much quicker would New York, New Jersey, Illinois, and Michigan uh, be opening up? I'm just curious. What do you think? I think a lot quicker. 
I, I absolutely 100% agree with you. I think that this weekend the logjam opened up, the floodgates opened up this weekend, and there's a lot more of that to come. I'm out of time, Brian, but look, that was good. Thanks very much for joining us, as always. We'll see you again real soon. That's a promise. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Welcome back to the radio audience. We do have a a few minutes to get to. But, you know, that's I thoroughly believe this. So I want to read you some stats. All right. I'm not saying they're great, but I'm saying they're real. I talked about this uh, economy recovering. This is what they say. According to The Wall Street Journal today, truckloads are growing again. Air travel and hotel bookings are up slightly. I know about Hertz declaring bankruptcy. Unbelievable. They're the number one in the country. Doesn't mean they're out of business. means they have to go in for protection. Mortgage applications are up, and more and more people are applying to open up new businesses. There are some early signs the U.S. economy is slowly creeping back to life. No lie, they've been given a chance in most states. The data still might, will be bad in April and May, which it has been, but things could begin to turn around this summer. Never underestimate the American people when it comes to a comeback. We love the challenge. And we're not going to do. We're going to do it for the country, but we're going to do it individually. If I own a restaurant, I'm 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 barreling back, man. The plexiglass, the screw gun. I have hired my handyman already. I've also called my friend, the doctor, down the block to maybe help me out. I'm maybe doing what John Taffer told us the first week, and maybe setting up one of those cameras in my kitchen. So when people walk in to put their name down on a list, hopefully it's a wait list. They look down and go, "I hope you see our kitchen." This is how dedicated we are to cleanliness. We want you to see what's going on back there. We want you to see how busy we are. And that, to me, then the, then the customer that goes out of their way to order takeout is going to go, you know what? I'm going out to dinner tonight. They stayed open to make our neighborhood vibrant and to make a living. I'm going to reward them. We're going to build on each other quickly, if given the chance. Brian Kilmeade Show, thanks so much for listening. Keep it here. Just getting started. BrianKilmeade.com to get Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, personalized for Father's Day. Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Happy to be with you. Going to be very privileged to speak to uh, Steve Ballone shortly. He's Suffolk County, Long Island uh, executive, and he is in charge of trying to reopen a place that has the richest on the east end, some of the most challenging communities uh, on other ends, and is doing all the right things in almost every case to reopen and get sports going and salons and gyms and sporting goods stores, and it's restaurants, and it's not happening yet because Governor Cuomo says we're not at his criteria, even though the numbers have fallen off a cliff, thankfully, while at the same time being totally respectful of the 100,000 that have lost their lives in our country for this virus. But we also know some other things about the virus. That 0.03% who get it, sadly, will lose their lives. That's 99.2%. 7% of the people will survive. I just don't know if you shut down a country for that. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 
So now 27 years before that deadline, it looks like with this national security law, they're going to basically take over uh, Hong Kong. It's hard to see how Hong Kong could remain the Asian financial center that it's become if China takes over. And that is Robert O'Brien talking about China threatening our allies and about to gut Hong Kong. Is the Trump administration ready for a new Cold War? Are you? Should we be doing this now? I say yes and yes. Number two. What do you think is Joe Biden's strongest feature as a competitor in politics? Well, I would have said experience, but he doesn't really have experience because I don't think he remembers what he did yesterday. He was never known as a smart person. Pick one good thing. Uh... (laughs) Presidential politics. Biden and Trump open up on each other on Memorial Day. We'll bring you the latest. Number one. By being locked up in our homes, there's very real health consequences. The social and economic dislocation leads to suicide and mental illness. Those are real, immediate health consequences that have to be considered just as much. And that is Alex Azar, not a pundit, not just a Trump supporter, the Secretary of Health and Human Services. He's the one who originally said we got to shut this thing down or agreed with it. Now he says, oh, my goodness, why are we still shut down? Reopening in the blue state blues, why the economy is beginning to show hope and why the blue states seem oblivious to their role in bringing it back, especially in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Illinois and Michigan. And that's where right now, although I don't look at Michigan as a blue state, I say it's purple. It's one on which the president's got to win. Real quick, I just want to say special thanks to WLFN AM 1490 in beautiful La Crosse, Wisconsin. Uh, They are now joining the show. They joined yesterday from Memorial Day. Your Today's Talk 1490. Welcome aboard. I hope you're going to love the show. Uh, We know we we love doing it. So uh, I I know this is going to be a great time, and we need you here. And Wisconsin is going to be so vital when it comes to revitalizing our economy. Today, in about two hours, John Ratcliffe will be the new Director of National Intelligence. That's going to be big at 4 o'clock. Kaylee McEnany will hold her press conference. I love the fact not only she seems to be one of the best press secretaries I've seen really uh, since Dana Perino and Tony Snow. She is very strong. And I know people are upset by her, but she knows her stuff and she's, she is very tough. She's not going to get pinned down to the mat. She's had... CNN and Fox News training, and just his very bright Ivy League uh, education. And the New York Stock Exchange has opened up. It's a return to the floor with, of course, a lot of testing and temperature checks. But the NYSC is open, and the market is up substantially. It was up 500 points. Now it's up at, uh, it's up, hmm, it's up about 58. So we'll see what that stands. Hopes on a vaccine, and there's more signs that we are indeed uh, reopening. So I mentioned about Alex Azar. Here's an act, here's the full content of what he said. Cut three. I would also add that thanks to President Trump's and the, our governor's historic response to this, we have to and we can get back to work, to school, to community, to engagement, um, because it's not an issue of health versus our economy. It's actually an issue of health versus health. By being locked up in our homes, um, there's very real health consequences. The social and economic dislocation leads to suicide and mental illness. We have hundreds of thousands of fewer cancer screenings and treatments going on. We have less preventive services. Millions of kids aren't getting their pediatric vaccinations. Those are real, discernible, immediate health consequences that have to be considered just as much as the spread of this disease has to be considered. And if these states want to earn their way out of this terrible pandemic, 
Uh, stop pointing fingers. Stop playing politics. And let us do it. Let us drive the, drive the business as consumers and producers and business owners that make up 50% of the jobs in this country are in small business. 80% of the economy is, is small business driven. On the front page of Barron's newspapers is a, lob, a small business owner. He uh, actually uh, is a lobster fisherman. And he's saying, let me be a lobster fisherman. My markets have dried up because the restaurants have closed. Let us in, please. And some of the inconsistencies with the policies are maddening. Here's Brian Mast, a man that lost both his legs, congressman from Florida, bright, great guy. Just talked about what is going on on Memorial Day with the beaches and the weird rules. Cut 15. I think it goes and shows you the double standard, the hypocrisy that goes on where folks can pack the grocery stores, packs the, pack the big box stores, pack the beaches. <laughs> but again, going back to what we were just talking about, we can't go out there and assemble in the Veterans Cemetery, pay respect to those <laughs> that, that sacrifice for this country with everything that, that God sent them into this world in. Look at their life and do what we were meant to do, which was remember on, on Veterans Day. That's where on Memorial Day. That's what we're meant to do. Remember those men and women that died for our country. Mm-hmm. Remember what it is that they fought for to defend. And then probably most importantly going forward, when you reflect on that, remember what would they want to see out of our life moving forward. Yeah, I, I don't even understand the wisdom of telling the Boy Scouts they can't put down flags in the cemetery. I don't understand it. Boy Scouts... Cub Scouts, they give orders, they are disciplined, the, the values that you learn with those troops, and you tell them, hey, we need you to wear a mask, we need you to wear, uh, we, we need you to go every uh, uh, one at a time through rows. They'll follow orders, they're, they're mini military. And what a life lesson it is during this time to remember those who gave so much in their time. Uh, I'm not saying it's without risk. I am not saying forget the 100,000 people. I'm just trying to say, that you can't lock up 330 million people for 10 weeks. 10 weeks. Here's Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who is as smart as it gets, faced the nation, uh, was running the FDA for a while. Cut 17. This isn't contained yet. That doesn't mean we can't go out and start doing things, get back to some semblance of a normal life, but we need to do things differently. We need to define a new normal. So when we get back to work, we need to get back to work differently. When you look across the country, you see hospitalizations going up in many states, Florida, Georgia, Virginia, Maryland, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio, Arizona. You saw hospitalizations coming down um, about three weeks ago over a two-week period, and in the last week you're starting to see them tick up. Now, that shouldn't be surprising. We expected cases to go up and hospitalizations to bump up as we reopened, but we need to understand this isn't contained and it's still continuing to spread, and we might not be able to fully contain this until we get to a vaccine or better therapeutics. Right. And Dr. Scott, it makes great sense. When you open up an entire state, there are going to be some areas going to be hot spots. And I, sadly, I think people look at that as a victory that you rushed. No. All the, everybody else trying to get back to life, going to get their hair cut, going to get their nails done, going to be able to go to a restaurant, going back to your workplace where, it's, where, you, where you're being very aware of things, how you eat, where you eat, what you do. Got it. Understood. So at the same time, you know how to surge if there is a hot spot. You know how not to if there isn't. So... We'll take a look at all that. And I don't want to take too much time away from Steve Ballone. Now, listen, I know we're national and I'm focusing on just this New York County, but it's emblematic of every county in the country. Maybe the county execs want to do things. The governors aren't let them. 
maybe the governors aren't doing what the president wants them to do. I want to get inside that battle because Steve Ballone knows the president of the United States watched him on television and flew in the resources he asked for. Democrat, Republican, didn't matter. I hope politics don't matter now. I want to get his take. 1-866-408-7669. I'll also be able to take some phone calls. And I just got to remind you, uh, I'm going to be on Outnumbered on Fox News Channel at the top of the hour, too. So don't go away. Big day. Brian Kilmeade Show. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Now, people can speculate, people can guess, I think next week, I think two weeks, I think a month. I'm out of that business because we all failed at that business, right? All the early national experts, uh, here's my projection model, here's my projection model. They were all wrong. They were all wrong. Uh, That's Governor Cuomo yesterday. Uh, He also talked the day before at Jones Beach, which brings me to uh, Steve Ballone. He's our next guest. He's Suffolk County executive, kind enough to be with us before. And the reason why Steve's so valuable, too, as we look at the whole nation, a nationwide show, also carried by WRCN and WABC here in uh, Long Island in New York. Uh, Steve, you're looking at a region, a county, whose numbers were so disturbing when you first joined us, but are really going in the right direction. Have you given up on the models, too? Hey, Brian, good to be with you. Yeah, you know, we've been uh, in a downward trajectory for several weeks now, and it's good news. It's continuing. I think people have done a tremendous job in in flattening the curve here. Now it's our job to keep it flat. But, look, I've said from the very beginning on this thing, you know, anybody who thinks they know exactly what's going to happen hasn't been paying attention. This is a rapidly evolving situation, and you really do have to be ready to adapt and adjust uh, on a, you know, minute to minute, hour by hour basis based on what we're learning and, and we're seeing and we're learning things from other states and, and you really need to do that. And we've tried to adjust here. Uh, and I think Memorial Day weekend was a perfect uh, example. You know, we're honoring uh, the men and women who served us, the greatest generation, 75 years ago, World War II ended. This is a generation that knew how to overcome adversity, to adapt and, and adjust. And we really need to take that example from them. And we've been trying to do that here. You have hit five of the seven criteria that Governor Cuomo put out to open up. What are you missing? So we are uh, we are right there at this point, uh, Brian. We uh, it was seven the, for seven. It was the we're just there with the last metric. It was contact tracing, getting that up and running. But really, the last one was the uh, number of deaths and the decline in deaths over a 14-day period. So we're scheduled to hit that tomorrow and to begin phase one of opening. And in many ways, you know, I, I talk about we opened our beaches on Memorial Day. We came out early. We were the first in the region to say we're going to open our beaches because I just think it made sense. It was always unrealistic to me that we're going to get to Memorial Day and, and the sun's going to be out. People have been cooped up for two 
two months and to think that they're not going to come to the beaches. So it's far better for us to be prepared, put protocols in place, and invite people back to the beach. So we did that. But Memorial Day weekend is always the unofficial start to the summer. In many ways for us now, this is now, it becomes the unofficial start to reopening our economy, which we need to do. Right. But, uh, Steve, I don't have to tell you, because these are people you walk the street with. They don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. If you don't open up soon, you will not have a gym in Suffolk County. You will not have a restaurant. One in four small businesses in this country are not coming back. Every day matters. Phase one is not really much of a change. You have to put it on hyperspeed to get it going. If people know the risks, I don't have to go to a gym. I don't have to open up my gym. I don't have to open up my restaurant. I don't have to go to a restaurant. Just give them the opportunity to survive. Do you understand the urgency? And people, 100%, Brian, and people have demonstrated that they get it. And, you know, they know how to, we wouldn't have flattened the curve the way we have if it weren't for the public doing what they need to do. And I have great confidence that people will continue to do that. We saw it at our beaches. The weather was a little bit off, but, you know, we had people coming and, and people were following, uh, doing the right thing. But it took so ten, I do have but great Steve, confidence it took 10 that. weeks, but it took 10 weeks to get to phase one. It's got to be weak, both phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, let alone the psychological thing of the kids not playing sports, they're not going to school, they're not, I mean, why can't you go on a high school field and, and throw the football around or kick a soccer ball around? You've locked up every school on Long Island. That's, that to me is, is not sane. Yeah. Well, they're closed for the rest of the year now. Uh, we're dealing with our schools on a local level because, we, you know, we're not just waiting but not the for what fields. happens from the state. I'm talking about the fields. Oh, the I'm fields, talking about the yeah. fields. Yeah. And, and, Brian, honestly, that's why we opened up the beaches, too. There was nobody in the region that was opening the beaches. And I said, this is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. People are going to go to the beaches. They can't be home for two months and think it's going to get warm weather and you're not going to have people outside. And I think also what we're learning more and more and we've seen – that being outside is one of the safest places you can be. Just the ability for the virus to transmit, particularly when people are taking, you know, some sensible cautions, precautions, that the virus just does not transmit uh, effectively when you're outside. That is one of the safest places you can be. And we need to reflect that in the policies that we're putting forward. Look, when I saw what was happening in the Ozarks, we have a great station in St. Louis. I'm in, that makes me look bad because I'm right. pushing to reopen, saying that we're responsible and right. when people just come out and don't wear masks, and just, that makes everybody look bad. Right. Uh, and my hope is peer pressure will do it. You guys don't have to hand out summonses on Long Island. We, but right we, now, uh, you are dealing with a city mayor that is saying, don't go to my beaches, go to Long Island beaches. What's that about? Well, we look, we've tried to, uh, on a regional basis with New York City, of course, and Nassau County, some of the other counties around here, to say we should act on a regional basis because we do impact each other. This is, you know, we have millions of people here uh, in the Long Island region, in the New York City region, and when one municipality makes a decision, it impacts another. So when the city decided to close its beaches and and make a decision, we're not going to allow people to come there, that's going to have an impact on our residents. And so I came out very early on. Again, we were the first ones to say there are there are capacity issues here now, and I'm going to have to restrict our beaches to resident only for Suffolk County. Now that caused a little bit of a uh, an issue here in the region, but to me, it's just a common sense measure. If if not right. all the uh, facilities are open in the region, I've got to make sure that our residents who are paying for these facilities have access to them. 
In total, I, I'm fine. City people are great, but let them use any beach they want. If they can't use city beaches, if they're not good enough to use city beaches, why are they going to Long Island Beach? It makes no sense. And, you, and you're using logic. How soon to the gyms are open? Can you give me a date, roughly? How soon to the uh, fields are open? How soon to youth sports happens? How about the restaurants where you can actually sit inside? So, look, on the state's plan, phase one, we hit tomorrow. We're on schedule now. Construction opens back up. Manufacturing, uh, retail for curbside pickup, uh, farming, agriculture, uh, all of that opens back up. So that's good news. And the other thing is we've been talking about a two-week period between the phases. Epidemiologists talk about two weeks. They see, uh, you know, are the infection rates rising. And, again, to me, if we have the contact rates, we have testing in place, People are using common sense. We're going to be able to do this safely. Uh, this is going to work. Uh, the state has indicated that it's not necessarily two weeks. This could be happening on a faster basis for that, and, and that's something that right. I certainly Steve, think makes sense. Steve, you have to. These small businesses, they don't want a favor. They just want an opportunity. I so hear go you. to bat for them. Let them play. We don't have to go. I don't have to go to the gym. Just give them a chance to impress their clientele. That's right. all. And Steve Ballone, thanks so much. Way, I'll talk to They know how to adapt. I agree with you. Thank you. Steve, I'll talk to you on television tomorrow. Phase one begins. Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. What do you think is Joe Biden's strongest feature as a competitor in politics? Well, I would have said experience, but he doesn't really have experience because I don't think he remembers what he did yesterday. So how is that experience? He's been there a long time. He was never known as a smart person. Pick one good thing. Um... Okay, what is his weakest point? I can't tell you. I, I mean, I'm really serious. He's got many. I could talk about weak points all day. <laughs> uh, it's funny. one 866 We have a lot to discuss with Chris uh, Steyerwalt, especially today because he's on the phone. Now, normally we talk about him when he's not on the show, but when he's on the show, I pretend like I don't talk about him. I talk to him. Chris Steyerwalt, hi. Uh, it's, it's good to be part of this uh, uh, have a front row seat to the discussion of myself. I like it. <laughs> In front My of you. Favorite I'm a little embarrassed Me. now that I know you're there. Yes. <laughs> so what do, you th- what do you think about Trump? That's a pretty good line, though. I used to think it was experience, but he doesn't remember anything he said. You don't like it? I mean, it's, it's a dig. It, I mean, w- w- I do not wonder what Donald Trump thinks about Joe Biden. I'm not living in death. I'm not out here <laughs> like Can well, I get Trump's feelings? Does he like him? No. Oh, um, but what? So the put downs are good, and Biden is bad at the put downs. What did he call him, President Tweety? <clears throat> so, me. <clears throat> so in the sort of Twitterite like put down stuff, Biden is, is totally lame-o. Um But Trump should have said his family, or his lovely children, or I, his beautiful grandchildren, or. Something, right? That's where you're supposed to say, well, 
Joe Biden is, uh, you know, his lovely wife and is so charming. And when Melania met her, it was just great. That's where you say the nice thing. Right. Like, it's so good that Hunter got involved with some overseas international trade. I think it was that really helped very, the country. That would be a very specific praise. That would be a very targeted, <laughs> a very targeted compliment. Right. That would be something you would say. Um, very targeted. Yeah. So, right. So, the president, of the, United States, uh, the president of the United States, you know where he is. He's going to be judged primarily by how he handles the pandemic, how quickly the economy comes back, perhaps. But at the same time, I was struck, and maybe I shouldn't be, about how the media played those devastating comments that Joe Biden made about, hey, if you don't vote, if you vote for Trump, you ain't black. So yeah. the media quickly condemned, oops, I meant um, actually uh, cushioned Biden's fall. Cut 27. And Joe Biden is apologizing tonight for a comment he made on a popular talk radio show. Backlash tonight and now the apology from former Vice President Joe Biden. The former Vice President was quick to apologize. Apology. Apologize. And he apologized. So he apologized. Let's not even focus on the comment. Never going to happen again. Well, now in, in PR, you know that it, that's why you tell your client. That's why Joe Biden's campaign manager or communications director said you're going to clean this up and you're going to clean it up right now you're not going to wait we're not going to see how this plays out you're going to go do it while we're in the same news cycle and biden to his credit went out and did that the problem biden has is he's he has two untenable options uh option a is to keep doing these kinds of interviews and keep screwing up and keep committing gaps of, of this kind. Or B is be a ghost, right? And not be heard from and be heard and, and, and be forgotten about. I, if I were Biden's campaign, I would err on the side of the ghost rather than the gaff. But Biden really, you know, this, this illustrates how stuck he is. He's doing interview. He's doing a Skype interview from his basement with somebody named Charlemagne the God, not to take anything away from the breakfast club or its influence, but if you're thinking about shepherding your resources, you've got a guy who's not good in interviews. You don't need to have him on with Jimmy Fallon the night before or whoever he was on with the night before and then up at six in the morning to go talk to Charlemagne the God. It's oh, not good point. That's not good, good use of a 77-year-old dude. A good point, although he's not really up late night. I think they're up like around six or seven, but that's a good point. Uh, Charlemagne the God and this is the bigger question for Chris Starr would uniquely uh, qualified to answer this. Did he, by making that statement on uh, a very respected African-American show, buttonhole himself, categorize himself, now he pretty much has to go, uh, whether he wants to or not, with an African-American running mate. Charlemagne the God uh, said basically that when asked about should Amy Klobuchar, Amy Klobuchar is supposed to be the frontrunner, what if he named her? Listen to what he said, cut 35. On top of possible Russian interference and voter suppression, Dems have to worry about voter depression. And that's people staying home on Election Day because they just aren't enthused by the candidate. You know, you can't act like this is the most important election ever, but run a campaign from your basement and, you know, not make some real you know, policy commitments to the black community. You know, not 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 listen to some of the demands that the black community are making. And does that knock it down to three African-American women? The problem is, I don't think any of the African-American women who have been discussed would be a good running mate for Biden. Uh, Harris, for her work as a prosecutor, brings her own 
problems with voter de- the voter depression uh, that right. Charlemagne was talking about. Uh, and Stacey Abrams is ridiculous. It is sh- nothing could be more absurd. Almost nothing could be more absurd than the idea of a guy who is basically saying, I'm going to pick my successor because I'm 77 to pick somebody who's a former state legislature, state legislator that has never held a job bigger than that. No way. That is a that's a that's a farce. Uh, And there's a member of Congress. Val Demings, I think, was also discussed. That's not that's not good enough. Right. Uh, What Biden may feel the need to do is pick a woman of color. So then he's looking in New Mexico uh, with um, uh, uh, Lujan Grisham, uh, the woman who is the governor of New Mexico, or he could be looking uh, at Tammy Duckworth, uh, senator from Illinois, who would be another potential whose stock is on the rise. But I agree with the premise that it's harder for him after this to pick a white lady. Yeah, and it just got to make you wonder, too, Who's running the Biden campaign? Chris, you just brought up a basic thing. Number one, keeping him locked up in a basement and, and still not even denying it or giving him a sense that he's going anywhere or doing anything, let alone speaking to the press. And then there, I just don't get the sense that he's, he's ever had the A-team around him. Do you? Well, they have a problem, and it's that the elite of the Democratic professional class doesn't like Joe Biden. They were Obama people who always disliked Biden, Uh, Obama's interpolitical team. And you can see it from the way that David Axelrod, David Plouffe and others have dumped on Biden mercilessly throughout the whole nominating process. They don't like Biden. They don't like the way he does business. Biden is surrounded with people who have been with him for 40 years. Right. Guys like the guy who filled in, uh, filled out the remainder of his term in the Senate, Ted Kaufman and others who have been in his orbit since the earth cooled. And those folks, those two groups can't get along. And you really, there is a problem. Yeah, I missed uh, the last thing, but I I pretty much have uh, your understanding about what's going on. Yesterday, the president went out without a mask, gets tested in the morning, goes out without a mask, gives his speech. He said, I wanted the golf to give people a sense of normalcy. I want to go out with a mask. I don't think it's good for the president to be necessarily be seen with a mask. My sense is that. That's not an exact quote. So he's giving on this Memorial Day. He's out there doing his thing without a mask. Biden goes up there and basically wearing a head stocking and does his thing at the World War II Memorial. Um, Britt Hume pointed out that this is what President Trump means about not being seen with a mask. So having said that, they decide to criticize each other over the way they handled uh, Memorial yeah. Day. Who was right? Uh, no one. Uh, neither of those. Uh, we do not listen to partisans' attacks on each other because they're dumb and self-interested. So nobody's right. Uh, it is a it is a pitiful reflection of the moral and political uh, and governmental imbecility in America today. And it should be particularly offensive on Memorial Day when graves and remembering the sacrifices of the people who died for our liberty, for our freedom, for this nation's best hope of Earth. But it's also about us and whether or not we are worthy of those sacrifices. We've had a die in service of this country 
are we living and conducting ourselves in a way that's worthy of their sacrifices? You look at a brain-dead argument over who's wearing a mask during a pandemic between people who are the leaders of our two great parties, supposedly, and you think, this is just not, this is, we are not, we are not fulfilling Chris, the mandate. I, I 100%, 100% agree. And the other thing I would add is that when, when 50% of the questions at these press events with Kaylee McEnany yeah. now uh, are about the president wearing a mask, why didn't you wear a mask, why did you, when did you wear a mask, we saw your picture with a mask, why didn't you do it here? I'm like, that is just poor. There are so many legitimate questions to ask that might help people as opposed to helping you impress your news director. I just yeah. bothers me. Uh, Chris, those what are you doing the rest of the briefings. day? Uh, thinking about how those briefings are a waste of time and die forever. Uh, I'm going to write the halftime report. I'm going to record the halftime report show for Fox Nation. Uh, I'm going to cook ribs. So what else do you, I don't know what else you ah. want. Uh, that wasn't the last one was a bit of a surprise. Uh, Chris Dyerwald, thank thank you so much. You bet. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'm going to come back with more to know and some phone calls in just a moment. You're listening to the the Brian Kilmeade Show, and we appreciate it. Just quick word: if you're looking for a great Father's Day gift, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers now out in paperback. I put some new stuff in it about uh, this guy named Abraham Lincoln. Uh, and how he tried to work with Sam Houston to keep Texas out of the Civil War. And last night, I watched part one of a three-part series on Grant on History Channel. Fantastic. The book, awesome. But this uh, series really gives you an idea how unique uh, and how special uh, General Grant was. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I swear to you, I came to grips with it, and I was not afraid. I didn't want to get anyone else contagious if I had it, but I don't have it. I mean, I don't have it, man. I'm healthy as a friggin' tick. So I'm going, all of a sudden, I wasn't afraid of it anymore. And then I got jumped up about it. And then I said, this is bull crap, people being afraid and, and, and staying away from their own children and their own parents that because you know and and it just took the love out of families and i hate it i don't say the word hate very much but i hate this freaking coronavirus crap and i'm not afraid of it and i'm not locking down anymore and that's where a lot of people feel i feel like this is the turning point this weekend and a lot of these people that want to make politics with their lives are counting on the fact uh they're going to be scared to death to do anything uh let alone get in trouble but uh we're seeing, a, we're seeing a lot of people just say enough. I did it. Ten weeks, locked up, no job, no interaction outside your family. Uh, don't stay outside for too long. Don't swim. We'll pull you out of the water. Uh, that is changing in a lot of states to a degree, all 50. But for Sammy Hagar of Van Halen fame and his own great solo career, he's done. For entertainers, their whole tours have been stopped. They know it. To, through 20, to 2021. I'm listening to all these uh, music shows, listening to these entertainers, entertainers uh, lucky enough to be able to uh, talk to them on this show, and we're seeing that they basically gave up all tours. So they're basically writing stuff. Uh, so they've given up a lot. Comedians have given up a lot. We'll, we'll, everyone's a sacrifice to a degree. Don't overdo it, and that, that's what's happening around the country. 
I believe. Just real quick, before I get to a, a more to know, on that coronavirus topic, I could sit there and talk about politicians doing what they want or not doing what they want. But what if I gave you doctors? Here's Dr. Scott Atlas at the Hoover Institute, where he's a senior fellow. He was talking last night, cut 16. Somehow this has inexplicably not been reported by the media. The CDC came out with numbers, and uh, these numbers agreed with everything from France, the Netherlands, Spain, and all over the world, that the fatality rate is is actually extremely low uh, compared to what it was uh, originally said. And in fact, for those under 60, it's less than or equal to seasonal flu. Hmm. And in addition... This kind of CDC information that has escaped everyone's attention is that for children, there is essentially zero risk of either death or a significant illness. So, and they're all kept out of school. Teachers that are in danger, pay them. They have to take it easy until we get a, uh, until they feel better about a therapy or a vaccine. Everybody else back to school. And Dr. Scott Gottlieb weighed in on Face the Nation. He knows there are some hot spots coming. They know this numbers are ticking up just a little bit in some states and going down in other states, despite being open, and said this, cut 24. If we do engage in that careful behavior, if we're more careful in what we do, I think that's actually going to facilitate a successful reopening and getting back to the important things, getting back to the economic activity. And so if we, you know, cut down a little bit on the social interaction and the social activity, things we don't necessarily need to be doing, we could focus more on doing more of the things we should be doing to try to restart the economy. And that's where I'd be focused. That's what I would be messaging, trying to put in place good practices so that we don't see an upswing in cases. We're going to see a bump in cases, and we're seeing it right now. Um, The question is how much, and are we then going to have to re-implement some of these mitigation steps? I hope not. Uh, and that was uh, Steve Gottlieb. I think he does a great job. So let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. This is breaking news. North Korean founder Kim Jong-sung did not have the ability to teleport, the, uh, the state media admits. So that's pretty good. I mean, how many times Kim Jong-il was given hard ones or was able to jam a basketball? Meanwhile, he couldn't even walk fast. Countless myths tell of the purported exploits. Some of them are taught to children in school lessons. Some tales distort documented history about the eldest early victory. He is the founder. Next, Colonel Alan West, a candidate for the chair of Texas Republican Party. It was in a vicious uh, motorcycle accident. He joined us earlier to say he's okay. He is scraped up. He is banged up. He's got a concussion, but he's all right. He'll be joining us. He joined us earlier. Go to foxnews.com. You can see that interview. Next, picky eating linked to demanding parents who limit foods. Frustrated with your child's picky eating? If you're trying to fix the problem by becoming the food police, you're probably making your child's habit of picky eating worse. I actually did that. Lower levels of picky eating in children were associated with parents imposing new restriction on foods and lack of pressure. Was that a problem for you, Eric? It was not. No, I'm pretty good with food. Um, but you say that you did that for your uh, children having yeah, problems Yeah, my son with food? still pushes back on vegetables. And I'm saying to myself, do you realize it's pretty much your body and there's a good way and wrong way? doesn't seem to go over. Next, CCC, the CDC warns of aggressive cannibal rats making a shortage of garbage to eat. So they're starting to eat each other and they're starting to get violent. Quote, I turn the corner, there's 30 rats in the corner feasting on something in the middle of the street. It's another rat. So please look out for them. And reports say Mike Tyson to get $20 million contract offer to return to boxing. According to Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, BKFC is set to offer Mike that type of money. Quote, I think I know what we need to do to make this happen. The company offered a 53-year-old $20 million. He looks good in training. He got fit again, but he cannot do mixed martial arts. 
We'll see what happens. Holyfields will sell fight for charity. Mike still got debt. He's finally drug and alcohol free. He needs to make money. He's got to come back at 53. Let him fight somebody real. We'll see. That's Brian. That's our show uh, for today, at least this hour, depending on what hour you take. Go to BrianKilmead.com. You could order Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. Go to BrianKilmeadShow.com. Make sure you get the podcast. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at FoxNewsPodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.